Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Amy Burkle, COO of Heritage Communities, an Omaha, Nebraska-based senior living provider with 14 communities. Demand is returning to the senior living industry, but that also means that many markets are effectively in lease-up as providers scramble to recover lost occupancy. For Heritage, Burkle says it's as if the operator has 14 new communities. But as competitive as the market is right now, she also sees a silver lining in the fact that demand is returning to the industry at all, especially after a hard year in 2020. And she believes that the pandemic has led to new practices and strategies that will serve heritage communities into the future. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our next Build conference happening here in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in architecture, design, and innovation for senior living owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now, here's my interview with Amy Burkle, COO of Heritage Communities. Amy Burkle, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I want to start by kind of turning back the clock a little bit and going back in time to the beginning of the pandemic. I remember that early on, and I think this was in March, Heritage had built what was kind of referred to as a war room to handle your initial response. So it's been a while since you had to do that. So what did you learn from that experience? And then, you know, when were you able to pull back from the, let's call it the war footing. Yes. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate you having me on today as well. Goodness, that feels like a lifetime ago. So March and April 2020 really was crisis management daily. Unrelenting information, status changing constantly. And so we really had a focus of working collaboratively as a home office team to the make the pandemic and what the communities were going through was our day-to-day, all-day-long, into-the-evening uh, response. I think what I learned from that time is decision-making was of the essence. We had to assess the situation, take the information that we had from our resources, right, our governing bodies, the associations that provide us support, But then we still had to look internally at, at, you know, around that table at each other. And we had to make a decision because those communities needed that. When I think back to that time and what the building leadership teams were going through, they were so in the trenches of fighting the challenges of COVID-19. They needed us to have that perspective of looking at all of these pieces making decisions timely, getting them the information, getting them the resources they needed so they could execute. They, they really couldn't be in the planning stage. They just, they didn't have the capacity and the time. It just, because of how thing, how quickly things were going. And I would say we morphed right into from March and April and really going into that, you know, daily crisis management to the realization for good or bad that, that we were in this for the long haul. And in order to maintain that pace, we needed to kind of readdress how we were working through things. And so 
it really became a part of our day, not our whole day. I would say that we definitely worked to highlight other things that were going on in the community, right? To make sure those things were, were being addressed and focused on. And I think really my mantra really became uh, the communities needed two things from us. They needed hope and they needed to know they were okay, security. Hope and security really were the two constant things in my mind, right? They, they needed to know we would get through this and we're okay today and we will continue to be okay. So I think those were probably some of my, the lessons kind of takeaways that I had during that time. And of course, flash forward to now, I mean, everything is, is so different. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember seeing that Heritage last month held its first in-person retreat for sales directors and executive directors since, I want to say, before the pandemic in 2019. So what was that experience like? And, you know, how did it feel to have everyone back together since the beginning of the pandemic? Right. Great question. I um, I just don't think you can put a value amount on that in-person face-to-face connection, especially with a room of survivors. And that's how I look at it, right? The, these community leaders were survivors. They they were in the trenches, in different trenches across the states and, and different cities, but they were fighting the same fight. And I it's interesting when we were planning this event, of course, we were super excited and we wanted to make it not only motivational and encouraging and educational. I also wanted to just give our our teams time to pause and just reflect and walk through what they had been through. And so typically when you have big events like this, right, you bring a dynamite keynote speaker in and get everybody all excited. And we decided not to do that. We actually decided to let them be the keynote. And I just really facilitated questions and let them share their stories. And and so I would say the two days really was a, a time where we kind of got recharged, you know, renewed and then reset. Like life goes on. We're going to continue to move through this. And it was a huge opportunity to see them interact with one another. But secondly, it was a time where I could bring our owners in. So we have two principal owners, Mr. Khan and Mr. Underwood, and they got to share their story and their perspective and their feelings about how they felt and and, and the support that they gave those communities. And I think that was a, a pretty monumentous occasion for, for them to be in the same room together, all of us back, hearing from each other's side of the of the story. So yeah, it was it was completely recommended if you if you can get the logistics set up right to keep your folks safe and, and protected. But it was I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So I remember we talked before the pandemic where you toured all of Heritage's, I think then it was 13 communities. And, you know, you worked in them, you slept in them, you ate in them, you talked with the residents, you hung out with them. So uh, I'm curious, you know, having had that perspective right before the pandemic, did that come in handy at all during your pandemic response? Or did it help give you a new perspective on maybe the resident experience? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yes, that was called our 13 first days. So I went to all of our 13 communities at the time, as you said, and, and lived as a resident, experienced, experienced 24 hours in a community, went through the move-in process, had my first walking in the dining room all alone and figuring out where to sit. And so some of my big takeaways from that, from that journey was the little things are everything and staff, our associates are like family. So when we went through this, right, and 
the beauty shops were closed. And, you know, at the home office, you know, as, as our regional directors of operation and, and regional support teams, like, yeah, beauty shops are closed. I'm like, no, 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 this is a huge thing. <laughs> like we need to actually like spend time on what else can we do? Can we hire a beautician as an associate, right? So they're essential. So they're here. I mean, it was, it did change my perspective on that because I remember hearing from the residents, right? We, we would have these grand programs and all these amazing events and they love them. But a lot of times it was just the little daily consistent things they wanted us to maintain and, and not neglect or forget about. So that definitely resonated with me. And it also resonated with me. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty outgoing person and don't have a lot of trouble meeting people. But even I, during that 13 first days when it would be evening time, right? Cause I really embraced the experience. I didn't just get on my laptop and work, right? I like, okay, it's nine o'clock in the community and I'm not ready to go to my apartment. You know, who's up that I can hang out with and meet. And even I had little pings of loneliness or, or missing my children, right? Missing my family when they weren't there. So again, as I thought about the things and comments residents had made to me back then of how the associates became such an extension of their family. Well, with COVID even more so because that's who they saw all the time. And so it really, I really started to address the retention piece of this, not only because we need associates, right? To provide our services, but that family connection and how vital that has been. And so from that, we did a couple different initiatives. Um, like a lot of organizations, we did a retention bonus for a significant amount of, of period of time that was only for our non-management associates. It was for the direct care staff and the housekeeping staff and the dining staff. And, and so part of my, my thinking was, you know, keeping these families together and making this a, a better or, or a more an incentive to, to come on board and stay with us. We also did what we called a 14 first days. And that 14 came from the quarantine new residents had to go through, right? So when they moved into our communities during this time, they had to quarantine in their apartments. And so again, it was the little things of, of each of those 14 first days, what could we do to brighten their days and make things better? And how could they meet their neighbors virtually and set up, you know, a, a Zoom call between the resident's new neighbor and friends down the, down the hallway. So it definitely made me think about the smaller details that I don't know uh, that I would have paid attention to as much before. I think it's clear to all of our listeners today that with this pandemic, uh, there's just been so much change. And I know that that's also changed how some of the positions in this industry work. So I'm curious. So you are a COO. What has changed about being a COO since the pandemic started? You know, behind the scenes, is the role harder now? Are you doing maybe more than you did before the pandemic? I guess, yeah. Tell me more about what that role is like. I would say the role is better, truly. And the reason I say that is I know that in this role, I can still have great influence over the residents' daily lives, right? And not just on the big picture, but the decisions that we make here have such great impact. And I, I feel truly, Tim, that I, I became much more confident in making those decisions, in kind of inventing the wheel at times is, is what we were forced to do. And because we went through that, and because I have so many team members and leaders and, and caregivers that survived and stayed through and we accomplished that together, it's just a feeling of 
confidence in us as a team and as an organization and that we can do hard things. We can figure things out. We may be the first people to, you know, a team to, to have to go through this issue, but but we can do it. We don't, we don't always have to rely on outside resources. And so I, I feel like that has given me just more fulfillment in my role. I think it's a humbling experience to go through and, and watch what your teams are going and doing. And I feel much more confident in where we're headed. Also, before the pandemic, I think that you and I had talked a little bit about marketing and how Heritage and its marketing, you know, tries to be raw and real with the idea that residents and their families aren't really always looking for a perfectly manicured community. You know, sometimes they're looking for things like transparency or safety. And those things, I think, are even more in view now with this pandemic. So how has all of this affected your marketing strategy? You know, um, Heritage has always maintained a philosophy of our marketing should be a genuine reflection of what life is like in our community. So if you look at our website or any of our collateral, all of our pictures are our residents and our associates, and that's purposeful. We want when families and, and inquiries and, and guests come to our communities that, that they clearly understand what, what they're going to be exposed to. And so you're absolutely right. When our world changed last year and it didn't look like our website and our collateral, we updated that. We did an entire, you know, photo shoot and, and marketing strategy on on life living better with COVID, right? In a COVID pandemic world and how we still could live better. Now as we look to 2021 here and in, in our new normal with our with vaccination and, and our, you know, almost non-existent cases that we have, I think there's a blend of what living better and wellness and infection control measures looks like. And so in fact, we are getting ready to start a new project and update our website and take new photos and, and kind of just get things all updated to, to what today looks like. But it's it's always something that's top of mind, transparency. It's been a common theme for us throughout this pandemic. Every organization had to make their own decisions on how to do that. And for us, it was concise, clean, factual information. Here's the challenges we're up against right now. Here's what we're doing to to work on those and to solve those. And here's the next step of, uh, of where we're headed. As a follow-up, I have heard so many providers now tell me that they feel like what the residents want now is maybe a little bit different than it was before the pandemic. You know, they want to see your protocols. They want to see how safe they're going to be in your community. So the question to you is, like, what are senior living residents and their families even looking for now? So I think uh, obviously the big, you know, the big difference is, is, what are your protocols? What happens, you know, if you were to have an outbreak in your community? So being able to explain and, and show our past history of how we've managed that. I think that there's also the question of what does the new move-in experience look like? What does visitor restrictions or, or no restrictions look like? How does technology play a piece here, right? If, you know, if I if I want to connect with mom, is you, do you have the, you know, Wi-Fi capabilities? And, and some of those things that, you know, really would, would not be addressed before. Infection control measures absolutely is, has moved up the priority list of, of questions and, and your folks that are coming in, of course, are been exposed and educated on, on the risks if community is not providing the right skill set there. But then I also think it there's a lot of similarities. I mean, there's a reason while our industry, of course, went through extreme hardship there's a reason we're all still here and folks continue to move in. And so those questions are still there. And I think 
a focus on overall wellness and not just the healthcare piece is a higher priority. It certainly is for us to foster that. I remember visiting with a life enrichment director Oh, just a few months after the pandemic had really hit and we were all faced with this. And she's a fabulous life enrichment director, very dedicated associate. But what she said to me is, well, my job is really non-existent now. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's so completely opposite. Life enrichment, right, is needed more than ever. And that's part of wellness, general healthy and and maintaining that. So, yeah, I, I would say that those are some of the differences and some of the things we've seen the same from our families. I also know that I, I think it was in January, Heritage had hired a director of healthcare. So I'm not sure if that reflects an increasing focus on clinical services on your end. But well, I guess my question would be, it, you know, does it? But secondly, what is your philosophy on hitting the right balance, especially now with COVID between, you know, offering the clinical care that residents need versus, you know, also the lifestyle offerings that they also want and need? So yes, we have added depth in our, our clinical team. I've added community positions. So where I've have registered nurses that, that go between the communities, offering that support to the leadership teams, right? The directors of healthcare in those communities, as, as well as adding someone to really be the overall arching, looking at policy and procedure and down the line and, and what are we prepared and as our, our market potentially can change or our consumers needs change. I think our philosophy is, is similar to what I mentioned before, overall wellness of mind, body, and spirit, and a protection of resident rights. That was such a piece this last year that, that truly, it, I would say at times it even you know, became an ethical dilemma on protecting resident rights while not infringing on other resident rights through people's lifestyle choices and how to manage both and offer decisions and, and, and give folks opportunities. I mean, in full transparency, right, there were times throughout last year that I, I felt like all I heard was don't. Don't. You can't do that. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't. And there wasn't a lot of here's how. It would have been easy to get lost in that in a sense, tunnel vision on healthcare piece alone. So again, I, I know I've said it, you know, eight times now, but but the general wellness and well-being had to had to be a bigger shift. And I needed my clinicians, my healthcare team to get that, right? To really understand that we weren't we weren't moving healthcare and, and that clinical piece down at all. We were just making sure it wasn't the only thing we were worried about. And that's why I mentioned the life enrichment piece. And the socialization, how we needed to work just as hard to make sure our folks were connected, not only with us, but with their family through technology, when we could do visits, right? When that was an option for us. And then with each other, it's, you know, senior living is still a community. <laughs> There's just so many opportunities and, and great things can come from keeping those relationships connected. And, and uh, so, yes, healthcare is has, has changed a little for us, right? Or, or our focus, our conversations, I would say, are better. They're bigger. They're more broad in our thinking. So I want to move on to a topic that I'm sure all of our listeners at home are very curious about. And I've been asking this question sort of, you know, over the past few months to pretty much everyone that I've talked to. So occupancy and census recovery, you know, that is kind of the topic of the day. And, you know, I was listening to an earnings call recently in which the CEO of a large public senior housing company had said, you know, basically in many markets, we feel like the industry is pretty much in lease up. So it seems like there's a lot of competition for some of this recovery that is coming back. What is Heritage 
seeing in its markets? And are you seeing signs of the occupancy recovery? And if so, you know, tell us what you're seeing. I had to speak at our uh, annual investor meeting just a few months ago. We were a small private owned company, two principal owners, and then kind of friends and family investors. And uh, I tell you what, uh, I was nervous. <laughs> was not uh, not my not my first meeting by any means right i've attended several and i know a lot of those folks but the huge opportunity we had right is is we have relationships with these folks we kept them very updated our investors were were completely in the know transparency throughout the whole year and so walking in i was nervous and walking out i um, it was a feeling of um, just true um, appreciation for the respect that I felt from them and really the empathy. So that said, that small piece of that, right, is what helps when you are fighting the battle on, on occupancy, which we, of course, certainly are. I mean, our markets too are, are in lease-up. It's like having you know, 14 new communities. And I mean, several of our communities are, are at budgeted occupancy again and running strong, but some are not. And so it's how do you, you know, when you were averaging six to eight move-ins a month before, but you need to, you know, to get back where we were, we need to be doing more than that. And so, yes, it's a, it's a joint effort, new marketing strategies, right? Education to, to our families. But, but the silver lining is it's coming. The inquiries, right? Month after month continue to go up. The tours, folks coming in and seeing the community all falls in line with, with the deposits. And again, folks need us. They understand what happened to our industry. Everyone saw it, right? It was highlighted every time we turned around. I feel why Heritage is, is steadily coming back is, is because of the commitment to our core values, even when it was most hard, the commitment to transparency, and the commitment to staying connected to our associates, which is key to occupancy. Another topic that I've been talking with people about over the past few months is staffing and hiring. I have heard from senior living executives who tell me that they're less worried about regaining occupancy during this recovery and more worried about hiring and staffing as they regain occupancy, which I think says a lot about where we are right now. So I know that we all know that hiring was hard even before the pandemic, and this pandemic has only made it harder. So what is hiring like in your markets, and what are you doing to entice workers to come and work at Heritage Communities? Well, I, Tim, I'm in the camp of being more concerned, yes, about, about the associate side, their experience, the keeping my, our community supported that way because it's foundational. You know, we're fortunate. We, we build our own communities. The owners build beautiful buildings that really don't matter unless we have the right associates. So to me, it absolutely is. It's the foundational piece of, of strong occupancy and building the reputation you want. So things we've done, well, I reorged my human resources department, right? So I actually took one role and, and split it into two. And I split up um, director of human resources and I, and I made a director of talent management as a separate role. So I pulled that totally out of HR and now I have talent management as its own department with a great emphasis on sales and marketing. Right. So we market, we sell to our inquiries, our families to showcase our lifestyle. 
I need to have that same mentality and strategy to showcase the associate experience on the other side. And I have so many great opportunities to do joint marketing, right? As we're at events or promoting different things to always be focused, not just on, oh, I'm at this referral source event for my community for occupancy, but to look at it with the same mindset. This is a referral source for employment too. I mean, completely number one, right, is, is word of mouth. That's where you're best associates come from. I mean, I I can't emphasize how much I have seen that benefit us when we've taken the time instead of maybe the dollars and always throwing it in at our different employment, you know, job postings versus taking the time and the labor involved with that and the expense with that to reach out, connect and personally just call people and invite them to come see our communities. So that's the one thing, right? I I brought in a new talent or bringing in a new role, showcasing the associate journey, also did some smaller things, uh, but I think are meaningful. We started an employee give back program. We started a whole separate non-for-profit where when our associates are going through personal hardship or unexpected challenges, they can apply for a grant that we have a, a board that reviews that and we send that, we write the check right to the rent or pay the utilities or pay the car payment or pay for the new tires. It's a small but very personal way that we can help associates through through a short time and can highlight that I think that speaks to our core values, how their wellness and living better is a priority for us as well. Again, another small thing, but has been it's taken off more than I anticipated was we went to an on-demand pay option. So you don't necessarily have to wait two weeks to get your paycheck. Things are, are a little challenging at home right now and you want to draw that out, that can be done up to five times in a pay period. So again, it's was paying attention to things that those small things, just like on the resident side, those, those small things that are so important and can really be, make a difference. Same thing on the associate experience side. Of course, done some more traditional things, right? We've opened up our home office for a couple different entities to come in and use as training facilities. So of course, when, when COVID hit and a lot of the um, medication aid instructors or the CNA instructors or the CPR instructors, they lost some of their environments or if they were at the hospital or different conference rooms, folks didn't want them to come in. We turned that actually around and said, you know what, come in and use our training room, right? This, these are essential folks that still have to go on and get their education and we need those. And, and so providing them the, the, the office and I mean, every weekend there's a different class going on here and, and a great opportunity then for us to highlight what we do and, and potentially be an employer for, for those folks. So those are some of the things that, that we've been working on, but it's, it's absolutely, I watch my open rec position, my open job rec, just as closely as I watch my occupancy report. Here's another follow-up. When you're seeing people come in, you know, to the the hiring pool, like where are they coming from? You know, before the pandemic, I think we all had an okay idea of where some of the workers coming into this industry were coming from, but this pandemic has really changed a lot. So are we still seeing, you know, some of those traditional sources for workers, people that might have worked in hospitality or retail before? Is this where workers are coming from or are you noticing that there are, you know, new sources for workers or new ways that they're finding out, you know, about these jobs or something like that? No, it's a great question. I would say predominantly what I've seen is is traditional, but where I have seen a difference is um, a very mission-focused associate is looking to us, right? Someone that really wants that 
I say caregiving, but, but working with people, helping with people mentality. And to be honest, folks that watched what, what, happened to our industry and, and some of the negative things. And maybe they had a grandparent that lived in, in a, in a community and, and they saw what that was like, and they want to be on the side of helping make that a positive experience again. So that's been kind of fun. Some of my, my positions here at the home office that I've worked to recruit it, it, that mission, that relationship piece, I think the transparency that, that, you know, we can show even going back through our own social media and communication, we posted them that we are who we we say we are. Uh, We don't always do things perfect. I don't always get it right, but I'll tell you I didn't get it right and what I'm going to do to to make it better the next time. And so I think that draws people, especially when we had a year of fear and a year of confusion in information. So that's been kind of a positive and rewarding experience to see those folks come come sit across my desk and talk about opportunities. By the way, I want to remind our listeners at home, we are talking at the beginning of May. So in the past couple of weeks alone, I have talked with providers who are, I think, they've expressed a kind of hope that I haven't seen really at any time during this pandemic. So I wanted to ask you, what do you see ahead for the senior living industry over the next, you know, six to 12 to 18 months? And how are you preparing for it? Honestly, it's just very similar to what we were just talking about. It's just the importance of attracting and retaining that workforce and and how it, it has to be a priority for every leader at every community, at every leader at the home office here. It's recognition, it's appropriate wages and benefits, it's creative benefits, it's on-site, um, you know, potential healthcare assistance and and bringing resources to them. It's career pathing. It's all those things that, that we've talked about, but I just think it's moved much higher up the list and it will be a focus for senior living. And I think, I think the senior living providers that get that right will do very well, right? I mean, there's, of course, you know, folks that won't be with us forever and that's okay. Let us be your first job and then go tell everybody about what a great experience that was. I'm great with that. Um, So that for me is when I think of the future of the senior living, it's it's a different way of, I almost don't want to say recruiting, marketing the associate journey and what that looks like at your community owning it, making sure that is what happens, right? And then just just measuring that on the outcome and, and, and what did that what did that bring us? What differentiators did that provide us? I think some some other areas besides the staffing component for our future of senior living is of course just the increase in technology needs. I mean we just saw that completely change for us this last year. And so like I looked at human resources and and reorg that. Also, we're adding depth in our IT area and making sure that we are responsive. I, gosh, I just don't need our communities worried about, you know, different uh, IT things. We need to clear the path for them so they can just move forward. Making sure our third-party providers are strong and those relationships are healthy. And it's just became such a vital part of our overall operations last year. And I, I think that will just continue to magnify. All right. One final question for you. Tell us about how Heritage Communities plans to grow this year and in the future. Well, we opened a community in the middle of pandemic, like a lot of providers did. Uh, we opened our community in Nebraska, our 14th community in December. <laughs> and so, so of course, we continue to move forward with that. We start construction on our first community in Texas. Uh, we'll be in Carrollton, Dallas, Texas. We start construction here in about another month or so. And then we're opening 
another community here in just another month, which is a, a huge addition to, to a current property that we have in Council Bluffs, Iowa. So we've kept the foot's been constant on the gas pedal. And, and that's really been no different for Heritage the last, well, gosh, Heritage will be 20 years old next year. Uh, their first community, uh, the guys uh, opened Shalimar Gardens in Fremont, Nebraska 20 years ago, built and opened. And that steady consistent growth has, has really been been a core piece of, of heritage and that's continued. We've diversified a little bit. In 2017, we added home health and we're adding hospice. We're literally in, in the beginning stages of, of adding a hospice service line. And so the goal is, is as we build and go into four now different states, we'll have our home health hospice service available to all of those communities in the different cities and states we operate to. So I would say, uh, Tim, that Heritage's future is bright, it's hopeful, it's optimistic, it's honest, and uh, we're just going to keep working hard and and doing the right things because people need us. Well, I think those are good words to end it on. So, Amy Burkle, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. This has been a great interview. Thanks, Tim. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build Conference in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit SeniorHousingNews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. Again, I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.